I'm going to see how many of you recognize this song. The body's a temple. That's what we're told. But I've treated this one like an old honky-tonk. Greasy cheeseburgers and cheap cigarettes. One day they'll get me if they ain't got me yet. Anybody? No? Nobody's a country fan here. Ah, I was hoping to call you all out. <laughs> okay, so a couple weeks ago, I was listening to country, I admit. Um, it's an old Kenny Chesney song. The body's a temple, that's what we're told. But I've treated this one like an old honky-tonk. And I just thought how interesting it is, how common the language is, and probably more in the, in the States than it is here in Canada, but how common that idea is of thinking of our bodies as a temple, so much so that it actually made it into a country song a number of years ago. As if most of the population has heard the language before, but mostly in the context of what we put into our bodies, right? You know, the body's a temple. What are you, what are you doing to your body? How are you treating your body? What are you putting into your body, as he said in this song? As if it's one of those sort of Christianese expressions that's often been thrown around, but, at least from my perspective and based on this song, has lost a significant part of its original meaning and purpose. In other words, we might be familiar and accustomed to the idea or the term of calling our body a temple, but it actually means nothing if we don't understand why Paul used this metaphor in the first place, why he used this term in the first place. So that's what I want to do a little bit this morning. I want to unpack for us why Paul used this metaphor at all. Why has it become what it has? And we're going to do that by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're actually only going to be drawing on one verse. Um, I'm naturally going to be pulling in a whole bunch of other scripture passages as we go along, but I want this one verse to be our foundation for this morning, and you'll understand why as we go along, okay? So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know, says Paul, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. I'm just going to read it again. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so you might be wondering, okay, so how does this fit into our Holy Spirit series? Well, again, it'll become a little bit clearer as we go along here, um, and it'll become very obvious. So Gordon Fee, who's one of the most helpful New Testament scholars in the area of the Holy Spirit and has written this anthology of a thing on the Holy Spirit, he's noted that for this verse, it would actually read more appropriate if we included that last clause into the actual question itself. It would read more appropriate in the Greek. So we could actually read it like this as a whole question. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God, and that you are not your own? Do you not know these things, says Paul? Four key pieces there, right, that make up that large question. Don't you know, folks, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, that this Spirit is in you, that this Spirit that's in you, you've received from God, and that you are not your own. 
You're not your own. The more I sat with this verse, right? This is one verse, okay? This is a packed verse. The more, the more you sit with this verse, the more you realize how utterly fundamental it is. Because if we don't grasp this, if we're not actually living into this reality, our understanding of how God interacts with us, even who he is, is always going to go sideways. A couple of weeks ago, we explored how the presence or the, the Spirit of God is the personal presence of God within us. And what I want to do this morning to, to bring us um, to an understanding of, of this metaphor of temple, I want to follow that presence throughout Scripture, just briefly. We're not going to touch on everything, but briefly go through Scripture and identify what the ultimate goal for the Spirit has always been. And I want to argue this, that the ultimate goal of the Spirit has always been to dwell within us, to dwell with us, to make us the place where he dwells, okay? And then we'll ask, of course, what does this mean for us? What am I supposed to do with this information? How is it meant to change the way I live? All that, okay? So, the presence of God, okay, according to Gordon Fee, and how we experience the presence of God is crucial in Scripture, Crucial in Scripture. Okay, In the beginning, the presence of God was in the garden, right? We see the presence of God in the garden, walking and talking with the human beings, with the man and the woman, dwelling among them. But in the fall, with the fall, there was the losing of God's presence. They lost his presence among them. The spirit was no, his, his actual presence was no longer among them. The humans were, in a sense, expelled from it. And then the whole narrative of Israel that follows then becomes about trying to get that presence back, trying to again regain this intimacy with God. Moses says this to God in Exodus 33 as the Israelites were journeying through the wilderness. If your presence does not go with us, don't send us from here because how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us, unless your presence goes with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Notice how important it is, how important it was for Israel to have the presence of God with them because that's what distinguished them from everybody else, from every other people group. That's what they were known for, for having the presence of the eternal and creator God dwelling among them. This is how they were distinguished. They were a people of the presence. And his presence was, for the most part, experienced through what they called the tent of meeting, or what would later be called the tabernacle, or what then later, what was built by Solomon, be called a temple. Entering into that place, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the, the temple, whatever it was, entering into that place was where you entered into the presence of God, was where you met with God, as Moses did. Because in this tent or in this building, in this place, was where God dwelt. That's where his presence was contained. But, again, because of Israel's failure, because they failed to obey, follow, love God the way that he wanted, they forfeited his presence among them. Similar to the very beginning, the presence of God again was lost. The prophet Ezekiel speaks of a departure of the Spirit from the temple. And soon after, the temple is destroyed and the fight against Babylon and Israel is no longer the people among whom the presence of God dwells. That was the tragedy upon tragedies, that they were no longer a people of the presence. 
But he always promised that he would come back. Look at this verse in Malachi, Malachi 3. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. See, the the constant hope of Israel was for this to happen. For the presence to come back that the Lord would once again come and dwell among his people. That he would return to his temple. It's what the disciples, we see, were hoping of and asking of Jesus. Is this when you're going to restore the kingdom? Is this when things are going to return back to the way they were? Where God will dwell among us? Where you'll be our king? Is this when everything's going to be made right again? But interestingly enough, as we've said before, the disciples were thinking too small. Right? They were thinking of a restored building, of a restored temple where God's presence or spirit could once again be contained, right? They wanted that place to be restored. But Jesus was thinking of something entirely different, something entirely new. Jesus actually said, remember, that the temple building would be destroyed and that he would rebuild it in three days. And nobody had any idea what he was talking about. But see, he was already referring not to that old temple building, but to a new one, a new temple. In other words, God was going to come and dwell among his people in a new way. And so what we see is that after his resurrection, when Jesus ascended and the presence of God was released so that it could fall then, the presence of God was released from heaven so that it could fall then, not on another building to create another holy of holies where only certain people can enter into. No. What we see is the Spirit, that same presence of God, falling on the disciples, the believers. And it signified that they were now the place where God's Spirit would dwell. Think of how powerful that difference is. How long the history was of thinking of God's presence being contained to a place that you go to, and now the place where you meet with God, where His presence dwells, is within and among the believers. As Fee puts it, the coming of the Spirit marked the return of the lost presence of God. The Spirit dwelling within and among the believers was now the way that God's presence would be present here on earth. And even that would be just a signpost of things yet to come. So as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, the church then is being built up as a dwelling place for God's Spirit. In Christ, he says, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The gathered church, in other words, is the place of God's own personal presence. The gathered church 
is the place of God's own personal presence. This is what he wants. This is where he wants to be among us. This is what marks us off from all other people on the earth. The Spirit is the answer to God's promise to dwell among his people. We are that temple. And you know, this this language would have probably more instinctively been understood by the early Christians, but it would have been just as hard for them to grasp as it is probably for today for us to grasp. Because imagine, you know, being a first century Christian in, in Corinth, trying to convince your neighbor, your pagan neighbor, who goes and visits all the Roman temples in the city multiple times a week, because the more gods you have, the better, right? You go to the temple to, to devote yourself to this god, to offer incense, etc. They do this all the time, trying to convince them that there's only one god, for one. There's only one god, not many. But two, that this god doesn't actually dwell in an idol or a statue, You can't go to a temple to find this God. Actually, what you need to do is you need to come to this motley little gathering of Christians who claim to be indwelt by him. (laughs) Really? How arrogant is that? Actually, you don't need to do this thousand-year history of, of going to this idol in this temple to meet with this God, where this God's image actually is in the temple, Actually, no, the real God dwells within that little crew of people, you know, 20 or 30 folks over there that are worshiping. How crazy would that have been? How crazy is that still for us to claim that this is where God dwells? But that's exactly it. It was so difficult for the Corinthians to grasp that God would actually do this, that they were looking elsewhere to make better sense of it, right? They were finding their own truths. They were operating on their own wisdom. They were making up their own narratives. And then, like Israel, they were banishing the Spirit from among them because they were trying to depend on their own wisdom and understanding rather than trusting in what the apostles were saying. So Paul says to them, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? That the Spirit is within you? That the Spirit has come from God and that therefore you are not your own? You can't do this by yourself. You can't bank on your own wisdom. And notice as we've seen, Paul uses, he uses individual language here, but in other places he used communal. So in some places... The, the metaphor of temple is used as an individual uh, metaphor, but it's also used as a communal metaphor. It works for both. Individually, our bodies are temples of God's presence, but collectively, we also together are a temple in which God's presence dwells. For those early believers, there was only one God, and there was only one temple, and that God now has chosen to dwell in a temple that is his people. So, yes, to return to the original example of Kenny Chesney's song, yes, it is important to take care of our bodies. Of course it is. I would never deny that. What we put into our bodies, how we treat our bodies, how we think about our bodies, that's incredibly important. But right now, 
for our purposes this morning. I don't really care how many cheeseburgers Kenny Chesney had for breakfast this morning or how many cigarettes he smoked before church. I mean, that's a, maybe an important conversation for down the road. But for our purposes this morning, what matters right now is that this is about the Spirit. If I'm going to think about treating my body as a temple, I shouldn't primarily think about what I'm putting in it. Okay? Now, hear me right. I shouldn't primarily think about what I'm putting in it. I should primarily be thinking, if I'm thinking about my body as a temple, I should primarily be thinking about what Jesus has put in it. Because that will change everything else. That will impact every other decision that I make regarding how I think about myself, my own body, and what I think about others around me. Because as Paul put it, we are not our own. Which makes sense when you think about it. If the Spirit dwells within us, if the very presence of God dwells within us, then of course I'm not my own. I'm not my own, as the famous catechism line puts it. I'm not my own. I'm not independent in and of myself. As a Christian, I should never want that. I should never want to succumb to those sorts of lines where the people say, you know, you do you, or just be yourself. Or Don't get me wrong, there's a place for those things. But as a Christian, my whole aim and goal is to follow Jesus and be so filled and transformed by him that I start to look like him. That I have his spirit dwelling within me so powerfully that it interacts with my spirit and that I actually become a new creation. Not that I lose myself, but I become more of myself in him. I surrender myself to him. It's the only way that we really find ourselves. But as Pastor Sid put it last week, there are always parts of us that want to resist the work of the Holy Spirit, right? We always would prefer ownership over things, control. We don't like giving up control. We prefer to have power and autonomy over our things, our stuff, our bodies, rather than focusing on the power that's already there. We need to be careful in thinking that wanting our own way and our own wisdom and discovering our own truths is freeing for us because the reality is it's not. It's only by the Spirit's dwelling within that we truly experience truth and freedom. For instance, this is just an example, but if you, say for instance, you're somebody that struggles with body image or not feeling good enough or not feeling confident in your own skin, or maybe you don't even like your own body, please remember that you are a temple in which the Holy Spirit of God dwells. That gives you, whether you're a man or a woman, anybody, that gives you incredible dignity. You contain within you something incredibly precious. And as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit constantly wants to be assuring us that he wants to be there. Because God actually thinks the world of us, which is why he wants to be so close to us. He wants to be so intimate with us. He wants to be there. 
Because of him, we don't need Moses to walk into a temple for us and talk to Jesus for us. We are that temple in which he dwells. We have direct access to him. We can ask him to help us to see ourselves in this way. Help me not only to receive your spirit, help me to know that your spirit dwells within me. Help me to know that that changes everything. Help that to change everything. We can ask him for that. And I know from experience that he answers those prayers. He does. He is the way that we experience true freedom. And isn't this the kind of freedom that our society, our friends, our neighbors, our culture really needs to hear about? Isn't it a good time now for the church to be reminded of the power that dwells within? We are living in unprecedented times. I don't know if you've noticed, but unprecedented times of restlessness and anxiety and stress. Optimism is low. Inflation is high everywhere. People are quick to dissent and to argue over varying things. Organizations are dissolving all over the place. Division is rampant. Everyone wants their own way. We need the Spirit now more than ever. We need the church to show the world that power that rests within us, that brings unity and peace. The Spirit needs us to pause long enough so that he can remind us that God's not left us, that he's here, and that he's able to revive us so that we don't fall into those same anxieties of our age. Because those anxieties are built off of a worldly wisdom that doesn't belong here. You know why? Because things like anger and bitterness and strife actually hinder the spirit from being able to move. Those things destroy the temple of God because they make it impossible for the spirit to operate. Friends, the greatest tragedy of the original fall was that they lost sight of who God was because they didn't have his presence among them. Let's not make the same mistake. Let's not push him out again or allow ourselves to repeat Israel's failure or go in the direction that the Corinthians were heading and thinking that we can do it all on our own. Do we know that we are not our own? Do we know that we belong to a divine organism that's gluing us together with other members of his body so that we can become a more beautiful and united version of ourselves? Do we know that there's a greater power at work among us? Do we not know that we are a sanctuary, a holy of holies for God's presence to dwell, and that there is great dignity in this? It's not something for us to take lightly or to slack on our responsibility of. We are stewards of something that transforms people, that transforms the world. You know, we, we call this part of the building a sanctuary. And after saying all this, I, I feel like that's really important language for us to hold on to. Not because this room is a sanctuary. Don't mistake me. 
but because we are. If we're not here, it's not actually a sanctuary. And I would just love it, actually. I just, I would love it if we could have it scripted above the doors as you walk into this place, the Spirit dwells within. Just as a reminder that when we gather here as a community in Jesus' name, that the Spirit is among us. As you walk in, you're reminded that where two or three are gathered, there he is. But you know, I'd also, I'd also love it if it was scripted above the doorways as you're leaving. The same thing. The Spirit dwells within. As a reminder that you're not leaving him here. You're taking him with you. Because he also dwells within each one of us individually. We take him as we go out into the world. We don't leave him here in this building because he lives in us. And scripture assures us that nothing can separate us from him. He's not going to just vacate his temple because this is where he has chosen to take up residence, to set up shop, to pitch his tent. And I think the church is in desperate need of recapturing this vision of who God intended it to be, the place among whom he dwells. Fee says this in closing, seldom does one sense that the church is or can be experienced as a community that is so powerfully indwelt by the Spirit that it functions as a genuine alternative to the pagan world in which it is found. Seldom does one sense that it is, the church being, that the church is or can be experienced as a community that is so powerfully indwelt by the Spirit that it functions as a genuine alternative to the world in which it is found. Are we that place? Because the good news this morning is that we have the presence of God among us. We have the presence of God here among us, within each one of us, and collectively together as a body. His Spirit is here within. Folks, we don't need to be in control of everything going on. We don't need to have everything in order. We don't need to know everything ahead of time. Our greatest security is here among us. He's here. And all we need to do then is to surrender in humility to the presence who dwells within, who has been gifted to us so that we may know the face of God in Jesus and so that we can be empowered to be his body for the world. Let's pray. Living God, we are humbled by your word. Lord, we're we're humbled by the words that Paul gave us as reminders. And we're humbled that just as the Corinthians had a hard time grasping these truths, so we do as well. We pray this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would remind us anew that you dwell within that you are present here among us, that you desire to work transformation in each of our lives, that you desire to work transformation within us as a body, as a church. May we know and recognize this to be true. 
And may we walk out of here with the assurance that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.